the phrase little is the new big if you think about it biblically the idea of being little in your own eyes the idea of humility you know that jesus values humility he said the greatest in the kingdom is what the servant of all so in a lot of ways in god's kingdom being little in your own eyes that's big stuff god's into the fact that humility is of high value to the lord in a world where it's like, no, no, you got to be more pompous, you got to be more proud, you got to be bigger, and you got to be puffed up. The world around us tells us that big is best. Our houses, our bank accounts, our place on the corporate ladder, all of these things need to be bigger than the next person's. This view is radically different in God's eyes. Today, Pastor Daniel will share how much more important it is to be small in the world, humble in our following of Jesus. As we submit to Jesus' will for us in humility, he will elevate us to where he knows we need to be. Now, here's Daniel in Jude verse 1 with part 1 of his message, The Struggle is Real. I love that we get to start a brand new series today. Isn't that exciting? Some of you are like, I'm not going to clap for the new series because we haven't done anything yet. It might be a little premature, but we're calling this series, Little is the New Big. And I called it that for a number of reasons. First, because that's kind of a popular phrase now, isn't it? Like something is the new something. It's kind of the product of a over-marketed culture where something always has to be new. Something always has to be exciting. I remember when I first got here to Crossroads, I was talking with our founding pastor, Bill Ritchie, and somebody said... 60 is the new 40. How many of you heard that before? Yeah, Pastor Bill didn't like that one. He's like, man, forget that. 60 is the new 60. I'm like, yeah, there we go, you know? But there's this idea that something, there's always got to be new. And of course, there, I guess there's a very popular HBO or one of the premier channel series called Orange is the New Black. I haven't seen it, but I see it. It's always referenced in the news if you're watching it. Don't. No, I don't know. I've never seen it. I can't, I can't comment on it. But you have that phrase, and then this idea that little is the new big, it's funny because we live in a world, for many of you, everything had to get bigger, right? It's like we needed it. We bought one house. We bought a bigger house. We bought a bigger house. So everything is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, at some point, everything is so big that everyone's like, well, you know, big is fine, but let's get, let everything get smaller. And if you watch reality TV which I don't know how much reality is really in reality TV, but I guess there's a movement that they call little houses now. So instead of getting big McMansions, now people are looking to buy smaller places and kind of minimalism is in vogue. So this idea that little is the new big, it just kind of felt right to me. But the real reason I want to get at it, of course, is because the Bible has 66 books in it. And in the 66 books of the Bible, there's a couple books in there that are little. There's actually a series of books that are only one chapter long. So they're little books of the Bible. Books like the Epistle of Jude, Philemon, or Philemon, depending on how you dig syllabifying his name. You know, you have Second John and Third John. And then, of course, my own personal favorite, Obadiah. 
which if you don't know Obadiah, that's my son's name. So it's a personal name. And I always hear Obadiah now with my little two-year-old Annabelle calling his name out. There's nothing more funny when she wakes up in the morning and she's like, Obadiah, Obadiah. You know, and she's just hoping Obadiah is going to come spring her out of her crib. And so we're going to be looking at these little books, but there's huge messages in these little books. You don't want to mistake the fact that although these books are small, that they don't have anything in them. No, no, no. Listen, they are packing a punch. But when you think about the phrase, little is the new big, if you think about it biblically, the idea of being little in your own eyes, the idea of humility, you know that Jesus values humility. He said the greatest in the kingdom is what? The servant of all. So in a lot of ways, in God's kingdom, being little in your own eyes, that's big stuff. God's into the fact that humility is of high value to the Lord. In a world where it's like, no, no, you got to be more pompous, you got to be more proud, you got to be bigger, and you got to be puffed up. And so all these things are going to be fun. So we're going to open up our very first one of these little books that have huge meaning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Epistle of Jude. The Epistle of Jude. Go ahead, open those Bibles. I'm going to get you to the Epistle of Jude. It's really easy to find. You know why? It's the second to last book in your Bible. So you have the book of Revelation. Everybody knows that's the last book in the Bible because it's when Jesus comes back. Holla. But before that, there's the epistle of Jude. It's one chapter. So if you go too fast, it's only 25 verses. The epistle of Jude. And if you're part of our online audience, listen. Don't forget, open up another browser window. Type in Jude 1 and we'll get there. So to tell you about the book of Jude, we're going to take it over the next few messages. We'll take this whole book. But... There's one theme in the book of Jude that is important, and that's the theme that we have to fight sometimes, that there are battles that we're involved in, and we have to make sure that we are fighting for the things that are really the most important. This kind of came into relief for me just this week. I mentioned my my little two-year-old daughter, Annabelle, and I just came off of vacation. I was on vacation with my family. We had a little family getaway. And you know what happens when you go on vacation? You come home, but your house wasn't on vacation when you were gone. You know, so you come home and like the lawn is looking like it was a forest. You know what I mean? And the house is, so I needed to get all that stuff done. So, you know, we're standing in the kitchen after I'm doing that and I'm giving my wife, Lynn, a big hug, you know, and I'm hugging her. And especially because I just came in from mowing the lawn, so I'm all smelly and sweaty, and she just loves that, you know. And so, but it's love, so, you know, and she's married to me, so she knew she was signing up for this thing when we started, you know. So I'm hugging her, and then I start kind of like messing with her, you know what I mean? Like I'm hugging her, and I'm like kind of tickling her and stuff. And if you know my bride, Lynn, she's so calm, and, and I'm so not. So it's like, you know, so I'm like messing with her. She starts jiggling, you know, moving and trying to get away. But I, like, I'm already hugging her. So I got like, she's mine, you know. And so sure enough, she starts wiggling and making noise. And all of a sudden, Annabelle, my little two-year-old, comes over. And she starts trying to get it. And then I'm like, Annabelle, no, no, no. And Lynn's like, stop, stop, And then finally, Annabelle goes, that's my mom. And all of a sudden, I just stopped. I'm like, Annabelle, I'm so sorry. She is your mom. You know, like, I just stopped what I was doing because Annabelle was like, this is my mom, and you ain't messing with my mama, you know? And it's funny, like, she's not old enough that I could sit down and be like, now, listen, Annabelle, she was my wife before she was your mom. And, you know, like, I couldn't reason with her. And at the same time, I knew that if I tried, then I might run the risk of having a total demonic meltdown. You know what I mean? Because when she's two... You know, if she, like, hits the floor and starts 
screaming and stuff. Then it's just like, then you knew you just went way over the line. It's just not worth it. So I just stopped and Lynn felt relieved. And it made me laugh though, because Annabelle fought for the most important thing. That's her mom. And ain't no one going to mess with her mom. And it was just so funny because I started laughing. I walked away. I'm like, that's so awesome. Like Annabelle knew, don't mess with my mom. That's my mama, you know? And I think for us, the epistle of Jude points us to this. And the reason it points us, because there are battles that we need to fight. But I think for many of us, we're so busy fighting battles about things that don't matter that we often neglect the battles that matter the most. And this little book, the epistle of Jude, gets at that. So let's break it open. We'll show you. Look what it says. Beginning in verse 1, the epistle of Jude, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, this is beautifully just the introduction to this letter. It begins with the author. The author's name is Jude. Now, I know it's amazing. If you were to look in the Hebrew or the Greek of this, the author's name is actually Judas. You're like, well, if its name is really Judas, why did they put Jude? Well, duh. (laughs) You know, see, you got to realize, like, the name Judas in the time of Jesus was a very, very, very popular name. You know why? Because Judas Maccabee was the leader of a family that ran and rebelled against an oppressive Syrian government. And they were victorious. They knocked the Syrians out. They cleansed the temple. That's where the Hanukkah celebration comes from. From the work of the Maccabee family and led by Judas Maccabee. So the name Judas was radically popular. But then all of a sudden, of course, we have Judas Iscariot, who was named after Judas Maccabee. And he's like the ultimate scoundrel, right? He's the guy who betrayed Jesus. Now imagine you have a name that's like a super cool name. Everybody has it. And all of a sudden that name goes to pot in one person. That's what happened to Judas. It was a very popular name. I mean, like, you think about how many names, like, the number of kids are probably being named LeBron in Cleveland right now is probably a lot, you know what I mean? But if all of a sudden the name LeBron gets really, really bad, that's a basketball reference, for those of you who don't know. Anyway, anyway, you know what I mean? It's like if all of a sudden that name becomes unpopular because some national person becomes a scoundrel, it's a problem. So it's kind of like I was reading an article about the name Adolf in Germany before World War II. It was a very popular German name. But then all of a sudden, with all that went on with Adolf Hitler and all the atrocities, everyone who was named Adolf, they went and they changed their name legally because you don't want to be known with that same name. And so the name here is Judas, but Judas is in a far stretch. It's kind of like Dan or Danny or Daniel. Right? So Jude or Judas or Judy, if it wasn't in America and he's a guy, you know, it's like that would be his name. So what's interesting about it is he calls himself Jude. That's his name, right? And then we learn that he's both a bondservant of Jesus Christ and he's the brother of James. Now, there's a couple things here. First, that idea of the bondservant. A bondservant is somebody in the Bible who, although they've worked through their debt, they worked for somebody, and when they paid off their debt, the bondservant was the person who didn't need to work but wanted to still. Now, I know you might think to yourself, that's crazy. But there are a lot of people who absolutely love what they do. 
right? And so for the bond servant, they, it was a, a prestigious position in a household because they didn't have to be there. They wanted to be there. They chose to stay and they would take them to the doorpost and they would give them a little earring. That's where guys getting earrings came from. Not really, but kind of, you know, and it's like, and so the bond servant wanted to be a servant. Now I'm here to tell you, guess what? In Christ, that's who you should be. You should know yourself as a bond servant of Jesus that you have chosen. You have chosen, I want to serve Christ. I want to serve Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, okay, so this is why I just don't do the Jesus thing. This is why I don't do the church thing because who wants to be a servant of somebody else? And let me quote to you that great American theologian who we most commonly known as Bob Dylan. You guys remember Bobby D? See, Bob Dylan, he wrote all these famous songs, but he became a Christian along the way, and he wrote a couple of albums in the late 70s and the 80s that were Christian albums. One's called Saved, another one called Slow Train Coming. Super cool, super cool albums. But on one of those songs, he made the most profound statement that I think is very, very important that we all need to realize, and that's that everybody serves somebody. There is no such thing that I don't serve anybody. No, no, no. Yes, you do. You serve your job. You serve the image that your parents gave you. You serve. Listen, everybody serves somebody. And really, when you take the idea that everyone serves somebody and you walk it all the way back upstream, what you find is that everybody either serves Jesus or they serve Satan. Boom. I just dropped that. If you're one of those people who say, look, I'm not going to serve anybody. I serve myself. Guess what? You're serving yourself. You're serving Satan. Because that's exactly why Satan is known as Satan. Because he didn't want to serve the God who created and sustained it. He's like, I'm going to do it my own way. So that may sound really cool. And you sound like you're the man or whatever. But really what it is, is you're just serving Satan. You're a dummy. I didn't mean to say that, but I said it. But listen, the reason I need to say that, because if you're serving Satan, you are a dummy. I mean, there's nothing more dumb than serving the guy who gets wiped out in the end. And God doesn't come down and take Satan. He sends the angel to do his bidding. And if you're that kind of a person who's saying, well, I don't serve anybody. Yes, you do. Look at your life. Be really honest. You serve a mortgage payment or a rent payment, or you serve in order to get this thing or that thing. Everybody serves. And so it makes the most sense to choose to serve the Son of God, the true and living God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, it is the most logical decision to serve that person. Amen? Amen. You can clap in church if you want to, but you don't have to. But now he's to call himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He also calls himself the brother of James. Now, this is super interesting because church history would tell you, although it doesn't say it specifically, we don't know for sure, but there's a very, very, very good chance that Jude was actually the half-brother of Jesus. Because if you look at the list, Mary had Jesus before her and Joseph had ever consummated their marriage, right? But then Mary and Joseph end up having normal human relationships after it. And they had a number of kids. You find that in a number of places in the gospels. And in that list, James is in there and Jude is in there as well. And James became a pillar in the early church. The epistle of James was written by him. And so Jude, according to church history, was also the brother of Jesus. But it's interesting that instead of saying, hey, I'm the half brother of Jesus, he said, I'm a bondservant of Jesus and I'm the brother of James which I think is very powerful because he realizes it's more important to be a servant of Jesus than to be his half-family member. And I think that's important. 
Have you grabbed hold of the ministry of being a bondservant of Christ? Because you know what it is? I think for a lot of people to say, I don't want to serve Jesus, so I don't want to serve anybody, and we address that. But I think within the church, there's a lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus, but I'm really not his servant. And I think that's a big problem, because that's not Christianity at all. See, if your interests in your own heart are higher than God's interests, if you're more concerned about what you want than what God desires, then you're not a bondservant of Christ. Because when you're a servant... The desires of your master ends up making all the details of your life fit in. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of us who have Jesus over the doorpost of the house, but there's, Jesus really isn't inside the house. He's just a little plaque on the wall. And I think that Jude wants to get at that with us, wants to help us fight for the things that are the most important. Because you will find your highest purpose when you are a bondservant of Jesus. It doesn't mean you're going to change your career either. It means that you'll do your career with a different set of motivations, a different set of goals. But we need to be bond servants of Jesus, just like the writer of this letter. Now, that's just the beginning. You notice what it says here. In the middle of verse 1 and verse 2, it says, To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, I don't want to like bore you with math on a Sunday, but what I want you to grab out of this is a little math equation that says called and sanctified and preserved equals blessed. That's what we learn here in the middle of verse one and verse two, that called, sanctified and preserved equals blessed. Now, notice We're called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Christ Jesus. And then mercy, peace, and love. These are the first set of a series of triads that you're going to find in the epistle of Jude. Jude has this reoccurring theme of threes. We're going to see them over and over and over again. It's one of the the defining characteristics of this letter, that he likes to do things in threes. He uses his examples in threes. And I'm going to be showing you this, but for those of you who love those type of things in the Bible, when you read through Jude, you be like, oh, look, there's another set of three. There's another triad. Wow, interesting. The Holy Spirit inspired him to do it this way. But we have these realities. First, that you're called. And the calling that we have here, it really stresses God's sovereign work in salvation, that God calls. And the calling of God comes to us through the active ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the calling of God to our life. And really, for the people who receive this letter, that calling happened sometime in the past. Why? Because the only reason they would have been hearing the epistle of Jude if they were already part of the church. The only reason they were part of the church was because God called them. So this idea of calling, it's the active work of the Spirit, and it happened sometime in the past. Then you have this idea of being sanctified. Now, notice it says, sanctified by God the Father. That word sanctified literally means to be set apart. Or some of your translations have the word beloved, right? Or loved by God the Father. That's a beautiful reality. If I put both those words together, you and I have been set apart to be loved by God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that that's a watershed. Think about that for a second. That God the Father has set you apart, taken you, and moved you to a special place so that he can love on you. Now, oftentimes and stereotypically, the women in the congregation are like, oh, yeah, love by God. 
And the guys are like, dude, Fusco, come on. Like, love by God. Listen, think about the number of people we've written off in our lives because they've been lousy friends. Think about the number of people who in the journey of life you chose to say goodbye to because of who they were. And then think about all the mistakes each one of us has made and the fact that God still loves us. That is so powerful that the God who is perfect, who is love at the essence of his nature, does not hold all the mistakes we make against us, but removes them from us, and we are still the object of his love. And the beauty of this, the idea of being loved by God, as you can imagine, this love is in the present. It's happening right now. As I always say, God doesn't love us because we are lovable. God loves us because God is loving at the essence of who he is. So it's beautiful. We've been called by the active work of the Spirit in the past. We've been, right now, we're set apart to be loved by God in the present, the Father. And then, of course, you have this preserved in Jesus Christ. That word preserved is also translated kept held by Jesus. Now, again, this is by the Son, and this keeping gives us a great assurance because nobody can snatch us out of his hand. That's something about the future. There's this keeping that happens by Jesus. Now, you see what I just did there? You have the past, the present, and the future. You have the Father, Son, and the Spirit. You have being, this is beautiful, being called and being sanctified and being preserved in the future. The totality of our lives but what does all that equal? You put all that together, what does it equal? Being blessed. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 2. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I love that. We're talking about multiplication here. We're not talking about addition. We're talking about multiplication. That speaks of exponential growth, right? If I say, hey, 10 plus 10, what does it equal? Anybody? 10 plus 10? No. 10 plus 10 equals 20. What's 10 times 10? 100, yeah. See the difference? This is why we're blessed in Christ. Because of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, his total work in the past, present, and future, keeping us and setting us apart and preserving us, we are exponentially blessed. And that's a powerful reality. These things are multiplied to us. Mercy and peace and love. I've never met a person who doesn't want these three things. Not one time in my life. I've never met someone who's like, yeah, not, no mercy for me. Come on, right? I never met someone, I don't want any love. Yes, you do. You know, it's like peace. And there's someone, yeah, I, I just want to be kind of coming undone, freaking out all the time. No peace for me. It's like, this is what people want. And it's all multiplied to us who are called and sanctified and preserved by the true and living God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the past, present, future. Isn't that some good news, my friends? That's some really good news. Now listen, there are some of you here right now who you want those things, but you haven't said yes to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, these are the things that you really want. If you go upstream from the things that you think you want, deep down in your soul, those are the things that every person really wants. Jesus is Today's message began a new series looking into the smaller books of the Bible. These short but powerful books hold key promises and truths that we need to know for our lives. 
As Pastor Daniel shared from Jude today, we have a God who loves us beyond comprehension. He's paid for every sin we'll commit, and we now live under the freedom of His grace. No matter what we do, He'll always give us another chance to start again. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced for messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver. Services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue teaching from the small but mighty book of Jude. This New Testament letter encourages us to fight for the right things, for the truth of Jesus. Fights break out everywhere in this world, but what are we really fighting about or for? Jesus fought the enemy for our lives and won. We need to fight for his truth and for love to be seen and felt by everyone in the world. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Little is the New Big. Until then, may God bless.